0: is meant to be a substitute for mental health treatment. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to Psychologically Minded. My name is Grace Fowler, and today we are talking about abortion in movies. Now, you can probably guess why I wanted to do this topic at this time, and it is 100% in response to the news that the Supreme Court has overturned the Roe v. Wade ruling that has been president in this country for over 50 years and greatly impacts the ability of people to have access to abortion, particularly if they live in certain states in the United States. Now, I know that not all of my listeners are from America, and I understand that this may seem like an issue that's not a big deal in your country if you have more access to abortion. Uh, or it, even if you live here, it may not seem like an issue to you if you live in a place where abortion is accessible. And you may also be thinking, what does this have to do with psychology and mental health? And so I want to kind of set up the premise before I dive into the three examples of movies that deal with abortion that I'm going to discuss today. So first off, I do want to acknowledge my bias in this topic. I personally believe that abortion is healthcare, and like all forms of healthcare, should be free at point of service and widely accessible to anyone who needs this type of medical treatment. I do not think that abortion should be considered a moral or ethical decision. I think that it is a medical decision that should be made by people individually based on what their needs are at the time for their health care. So that's where I'm coming from. And with most medical procedures, there are psychological components that come along with it. We have entire branches of psychology, health psychology, that is dedicated to helping people who have gone through difficult medical procedures or medical conditions that affect your psychological well-being. And so like any other medical procedure, psychology has a role to play in helping people to adjust to the either pre or post life of this type of medical procedure. And one argument that I think we hear a lot is that abortion in and of itself is traumatizing to the person getting the abortion or uh, causes negative psychological consequences after the abortion that will result in things like PTSD or depression. I've seen that argument thrown around by people who are in opposition to abortion being accessible. And one of the rationales for banning abortion is that it like ruins people's lives after they've had it. And I'm here to say that based on the literature, that is not true. And I have an article that I've cited Uh, on the sources page that was written by uh, a team headed by Adler. And this is actually from the 90s. So this shows us that for the last 30 years, the field has known that there are no psychological consequences in general for people who have an abortion. And some quick takeaways from their article is that there is no evidence that the majority of people who have an abortion will have negative psychological consequences that the reality is, is people's distress level is the highest before the abortion, not after. And this article is a meta-analysis. It's based on many, many studies that have looked at this phenomenon. Um, it's not just one study, so there is a lot of research here to back this up. Uh, there are a few select cases that have demonstrated that when a person has an abortion, they're more likely to have psychopathology or severe negative emotions after the abortion. But literature and research has determined that this is actually more likely due to the individual person's responses to stress and the way they typically cope to stress and an adjustment to a stressor, such as becoming pregnant and having an abortion. It's not necessarily connected to abortion itself. It's the general response to stress that the person may have. And these cases are so few and far between that it's not considered a public health issue or an issue that would need to be treated on a wider uh, population level. And I've talked about this before in other um, episodes, like this idea of some interventions need to come at a population level and some need to come at an individual level. That's where public health comes in. And so this idea of like severe negative reactions or emotions after an abortion is not something we would treat at the population level. It's so rare that it's an individual treatment need and for those who do experience a severe negative reaction post-abortion the risk factors that contribute to that being the outcome are things like uh, lack of social support for the abortion so the person's family or partner not being there with them when they have the abortion or not supporting their decision uh, having to terminate a wanted pregnancy so those would be cases where the abortion was needed to save the life of the person who is pregnant for maybe fetal abnormalities or some sort of grave medical condition and the person having the abortion wanted to keep the pregnancy but wasn't able to. And so that can lead to severe negative reactions, whereas we know that the majority of people who are getting an abortion are getting it for a pregnancy that is not wanted or planned at the time. So you see why that makes it so rare, the severe negative reaction. And the third risk factor is those who have conflicting emotions or insecurity about the decision to terminate a pregnancy. So in those cases, you're at more risk for having a severe negative emotional reaction to the abortion uh, rather than adjusting to the stressor of going through a medical procedure uh, in a more adaptive way. So I'm just putting that out there to start this episode off that abortion is there's no conclusive link between getting an abortion and having negative psychological outcomes. And I think it's better to view abortion as a, any other medical procedure in that it should be considered to be neutral, right? That you can have adverse reactions to lots of different types of medical procedures. Surgery, uh, like treatments, like chemotherapy, like those you can have very adverse reactions to those and that they can impact your mental health. But they also can be good for your mental health in that they're providing treatment needed to save your life and improve the quality of your life, right? Like receiving chemotherapy, although in the, in the immediate time zone, can decline your quality of life because people get sick. They have a lot of bad side effects. And again, I'm not a medical professional, but I'm, I'm just talking more like generally, like People's experiences of chemotherapy can be very negative, but in the long run, it has improved their quality of life because they no longer have cancer. It's the same thing with abortion. Maybe in the moment or leading up to the abortion, there is distress and there is difficulty in dealing with not only the symptoms of pregnancy, but dealing with navigating access to abortion and navigating things like lack of social support or making uh, a difficult decision. But the reality is, is that it's a medical procedure and that the quality of life of the person who decides to get an abortion improves after having the abortion. Like we, we know this to be true, and I'm just setting this up at the beginning because I'm not here to do this episode to get into the moral or ethical or religious concerns about abortion because I think that's where the conversation goes wrong. Instead of talking about abortion as something that we have feelings about or we have opinions about... We need to think about abortion as a medical procedure that is done by doctors and medical professionals to improve quality of life and provide vali- valid, necessary medical care to people who can become pregnant. And that's it. That's what abortion is. Like at the end of the day, that is what an abortion is. It is a type of health care. And I- I'm not even saying that it's a type of birth control. Like it's a type of health care. Like it's necessary for health, <laughs> like well- physical well-being. And the research is showing that it's also necessary for psychological well-being because if the distress is coming before the abortion, then getting the abortion can help reduce the distress, right? Because the distress is related to being pregnant and not wanting to be pregnant. That's it. That's what the distress is related to. It's not like it's not all this stuff about like feeling guilty or like it's healthcare. And I think that I would encourage my audience and anybody listening to this to frame your conversations about abortion in this way, that it is healthcare. It's not a conversation topic for religious or political gains. Like it's, it's not in those realms. It's a healthcare decision and bringing it back to those roots clarifies the conversation. Do you believe people should have healthcare or not? Maybe there's a problem with you. If you think people shouldn't have healthcare and stop and consider that (laughs) why, why you don't want people to have healthcare. Uh, I'm going to assume that the type of people who listen to this agree that at least there should be some level of bodily autonomy. If you don't agree with that, uh, maybe as we go through this episode, I can give you a little bit of information that might change your mind a little bit. And I'll be honest, like I said, I believe that abortion is healthcare and should be accessible and free, like all healthcare. And so I'm a little heated by this decision and that may come across in this episode. Uh, and I think it's important to show that, to show that the, these things affect us, um, even if they're not immediately impacting our lives. Uh, this stuff in the culture, the stuff that goes on in the countries that you live in and your government affects us. And decisions like this affect people's well-being, regardless of if it's immediately impacting your life or not. So if I seem upset, <laughs> that's why. Um, okay, so that's let's let's just to dispel the myth that abortion is bad for people's well-being. There are rare cases where it may have some negative emotional uh consequences, and for those cases, those people deserve support and treatment and mental health support, okay But in the aggregate, abortion itself is not linked to negative emotional consequences or psychopathology. All right, so because it's a pop culture podcast, right? we talk about media the purpose of this episode is to kind of show how abortion has been portrayed in the media kind of across several time points and what that says about the kind of conversations that the culture is able to have about abortion. So first, I do want to briefly talk about this article I found by Sisson and Kimport, published in 2017 uh, in Feminism and Psychology. Great journal. (laughs) Uh, And they talk about media portrayals of abortion. So they did this study where they looked at television shows that had been put out between 2005 and 2015, so about a 10-year uh, span, and they looked at only television shows that had some sort of plot line about abortion, and it ended up being about 89 television shows across that that decade. And in those show, in the 89 shows, only 40% of the shows in uh, portrayed barriers to access to abortion. So that means that 60% of the shows did not talk about any of the barriers to getting an abortion, and the character in the show just was able to go get one or just talk about abortion. And the authors argue that even in those 40% that showed barriers, the barriers were super easy to overcome. So even if it was something like abortion was illegal within the time period the show was set in, the character was easily able to get around that and get access to abortion even if there was some sort of barrier in their way. And Sisson and Kimport argue that that's not accurate in how real people experience access to abortion and creates this idea in the culture that abortion is just easy to get to and that there's there is no undue burden on people who can get pregnant when you put in these like weird laws because abortion is so accessible. And that's not true. So one of the reasons why abortion seems so accessible on TV is that most often abortion storylines take place in healthcare shows. So medical dramas like Grey's Anatomy or ER. So these people are already in the healthcare system. Most of them are like doctors or nurses or whatever. And they know how to navigate the healthcare system. They know how to get what they need so they can waltz right in and get an abortion or know the right people to talk to so that there isn't undue burdens for them to get access to abortion. So that's one of the reasons why these TV shows seem to act like abortion is so easy to get. Uh, another one is that characters tend to be higher uh, socioeconomic status in these shows, which ignore the challenges and stories of working poor people who need abortions and are more likely to encounter barriers such as cost. So if you think about the television shows that you've watched that maybe have an abortion plotline, let's just use Grey's Anatomy because I was just reading an article about it. I've never watched Grey's Anatomy, but I did read I did read about one of the plotlines they had. And so there's a doctor on the show who has an unplanned pregnancy and wants access to an abortion and she's able to get it quite quickly. And if we think about that, she's hitting on those two points they brought up, right? She's a doctor. So she's in the healthcare system and knows how to get access to what she needs. And she's higher socioeconomic status because she's a doctor. So not only does that job come with more prestige in our society, like people respect people who are doctors. It also comes with a lot more money. So she's going to have the access to pay for something, uh, even if like insurance won't cover it or it's like in a, even if she had to travel somewhere, she would have access to the money to get herself to a place where she can get an abortion. The reality is, is that most people who need to get abortions don't have access to those types of things. And we're ignoring a big chunk of the stories of people who need abortions that they don't have the money needed to get to these things. Uh, And I do want to remind you that, again, this study was looking at 2005 to 2015, so there may be newer things that you've watched that um, don't depict abortion in the same way. So just like keeping that in mind that that we're looking at a very specific time period here. The authors posit that the way abortion had been portrayed in this decade uh, greatly contributed to a significant lack of knowledge about abortion and abortion access in the broader public. We all know that a lot of us get our information from TV, (laughs) whether that's a good thing or not. And so having these types of representations of abortion makes it seem like it's incredibly accessible. So it feels like a compromise to allow certain governments or legislatures to restrict access to types of abortion because it seems so accessible in the movies and in television. The authors also noted a third thing was that, um, when barriers were depicted about someone getting access to an abortion, most often the uh they focus on like increased medical risk for the person getting the abortion as the plot line rather than the true barriers to abortion access. So medical risk per the, these authors, medical risk associated with abortion is quite low. The procedure again is a routine healthcare procedure that is quite safe and is performed by professionals medical professionals to keep the patient safe and often these television depictions of abortion focus on this kind of like inherent dangerousness of the procedure itself which becomes the plot line instead of the person having difficulty actually accessing even care so even accessing the abortion and so you can see how not portraying, like making abortion seem super accessible, but then also making it seem super dangerous, how those things kind of line up and form the way that we as a society may think about abortion. And again, if you're in a different country, I'm not sure how your culture responds to this type of medical procedure. And that would be something I'd be very interested to hear from those listeners uh, if you want to write in. But I can say that in America, uh, this is a Kind of cultural sentiment about abortion that it's super dangerous. It's like there, there's risk associated with it. People are likely to have damage to their bodies. That means they'll never have children again or that they'll have these like medical complications. And again, as I'm not a medical professional, I know that there is a possibility for those things to happen. And I'm not going to say that abortion is never dangerous, or healthcare itself never has consequences, right? That's, and that's not the purpose of this episode, to talk about the medical side of it. But I do think that it is really interesting to see how our opinions and sort of our psychological understanding of abortion is so influenced by media representations of abortion, and those representations do not line up with the reality of what abortion access is like and what the procedure itself is really like. So, based on this Sisson and Kemport article, I chose three movies, and I did movies because they're easier to watch than a whole show. Uh, three movies across different time periods, and I looked at kind of these three things that they looked at. So, did the, show, the movie show barriers to getting abortion? What was the socioeconomic status of the characters in the movie? And what was the portrayal of medical risk in the movie? So were there barriers and what type of barriers, right? Was it just focusing on the medical risk or was it looking at other things? And did the character have the means to kind of get around the barriers that were in place if there were any? So the first movie that I focused on was Dirty Dancing. This is a film that came out in the 1980s, but it's based on a time period in the 1960s. If you've never seen Dirty Dancing, spoiler alert, uh, I highly recommend it. It is one of my favorite movies. I love Dirty Dancing. And one of the main plot points of the movie is, well, first of all, the main character, Baby, her family is on vacation at this resort in, like, the Catskills Mountains. And at this resort, they're, like, these professional dancers that not only offer dance classes to the guests, but then do this t- big sort of performance at the end of the season. And that is what determines if they get paid for the season or not. This like big performance. So one of the dancers is Penny and she is pregnant. Or she gets pregnant after uh, having sex with one of the like waiters at the resort. Who's not a very nice guy. And she wants to get an abortion because if she doesn't, she won't be able to perform and finish the season off, and so she won't get paid. So, big consequences here for her. It's like, she won't make her money, essentially, for the season if she is pregnant and can't perform. Uh, and she doesn't want this baby. She didn't want this person's baby, the, uh, the man's baby. Like, what, all all this stuff, right? She doesn't want the baby, so she wants an abortion. Um, So... There are a few barriers uh, depicted in this movie. So the first one is that abortion was illegal. So the movie takes place in the 1960s, which was before Roe v. Wade was passed. So abortion was not legal and it's not legal in the state that they're in. I don't remember where the Catskill's in, but it's like it's in the South somewhere, right? (laughs) Uh, Abortion is not legal in that place. So that that's the first barrier. The second barrier is that Penny is a working person who can't time take time off work. So that's on one hand, the the pregnancy is preventing her from would prevent her from working. And it also getting an abortion would prevent her from working because she would have to take time off to recover. And in doing that would, again, miss out on the way that she's able to make money for the season. So the first barrier that it's illegal is resolved pretty quickly in that Penny finds kind of like a Backdoor or back alley abortionist like someone who will do it against the law which is often how the Ill- Ill- illegality barrier is like resolved in movies and television is like well there's just some guy who will do it uh and then the second is resolved so her not being able to take work- off work is that baby the main character decides to step in for the dance competition and promises penny that she will give her all of the money that she would have earned from participating in this performance because baby doesn't need the money; she comes from a very wealthy family, which we'll get to in the next part. Um, and the reason, and that's how we get the dirty dancing, is that baby ends up being Patrick Swayze's dance partner, and then they do the infamous scene at the end. It's a whole thing, right? So those, but those barriers are resolved fairly quickly, and uh, baby becomes involved in this process, which is why it becomes a major plot point in the movie. So those are the barriers. Then the SES, so the socioeconomic status of the characters is, they're, they're different. The two women are different. So Baby is in a quite high uh, socioeconomic status. Her father is a doctor and they're at this resort. They're summering at this resort. So they have the money to pay to attend this like summer camp for, for families. Uh, however, Penny is much lower socioeconomic status. She's a dancer. She works at this resort. She's an employee there. And she doesn't even have enough money for the abortion, let alone to take time off work to recover. And our third category is increased medical risk. And this is a big one in Dirty Dancing in that Penny almost bleeds out due to the botched illegal abortion and ultimately needs baby's dad to give her emergency medical care because he's a doctor. He kind of steps in and this is how he finds out that um, this has happened and his daughter is a part of it. Oh, and one more thing to add about the SES is that Penny doesn't have the money for the abortion, so baby gets her the money. She, like, asks her dad for money, just asks him for money, and then gives it to Penny. And he doesn't find out it was for an abortion until she comes to him and says, like, this girl needs you. She's she's having medical complications because of this procedure. So those are the three categories we've talked about. So dirty dancing does have barriers depicted, although they are resolved pretty quickly but it does include other barriers aside from it just being illegal, like Penny's. Penny's, honestly, her biggest barrier is that she doesn't have the money for it and she would have to take time off work. Like the economic barriers are the biggest for her so she is determined to go through with it even though it's illegal. So uh, I think the barriers are probably a little more realistic in this depiction of abortion. But again, they are pretty quickly resolved. And not everyone is going to somehow meet a rich family who they're going to be able to get money from to pay for their procedure. And the SES, I think, is is pretty clear in this movie. It's making a pretty good point of rich girls have access to these things and poor girls do not, Um, which I think going back to Sisson and Kimbert's uh, article is that that's what's missing in that 2005 to 2015 period is like poor people's stories about abortion and so this does at least include the element that penny is poor and a, a working person who has to keep working uh, to to support herself. And then the increased medical risk, I think this is this is kind of the big red flag that was pointed out in the article is that it's per- this, this abortion is portrayed to be very dangerous to penny's health and she almost dies because of it and there's like grave medical consequences. Now, I think you can rationally look at it as because it was an illegal abortion that was done in, like, not a sterile environment and not necessarily by someone who has the credentials or the right training to do it, because the movie doesn't spend time on, like, who the abortionist was um, or who the doctor was. But it does show that this is, like, very dangerous and that Penny could almost lose her life. Additionally, because this is pro-Roe v. Wade or pre Roe v. Wade and the movie was made in the 80s, looking back on this time before, I think this was more of a reality that abortion was not seen as necessary health care and so was often incredibly risky because it was performed in these non-sterile, non-professional settings. So it's a red flag that it, the movie focuses more on the medical risk than the actual procedure or access to it. Um, But I think given the time context that the movie is placed in the 1960s, it does uh, make a little more sense and was probably more more likely an accurate depiction of what it was like to get or try to get an abortion in the 1960s before the precedent of Roe v. Wade had been set. So I'm going to say all in all, I think Dirty Dancing is a pretty moderately appropriate depiction of abortion access given the time period the movie is set in. And does address additional access barriers than just it being illegal. Okay. Now, the second movie is Juno, which came out in 2007 and is an independent film about a pregnant teenager who actually decides to keep the baby and give it up for adoption. And it's starring Elliot Page and uh, Jason Bateman. And I think Jennifer Garner is the adoptive mother. It's got some big names in it, even though it was like a little, a small little film. Um, So you may be like, whoa, why are we talking about Juno in this abortion episode? Because Juno doesn't get an abortion. And that is why we're talking about it in this episode, is because she does not get an abortion. And we're going to talk about why and kind of what message that sends. Now, I do want to add a quick caveat in that I was reading on the Wikipedia page some uh, article or some stuff that was from the person who wrote the film diablo cody and cody talks about that their intention was not to write a film that was like pro-life or anti-choice and wasn't necessarily like making this to be a film to show that adoption is a viable option what and that cody's um like motivation for this movie was just to tell this story um, about a pregnant girl and kind of the experience that it could be like to go through this, uh, choosing to have the baby and give it up for adoption. So, and, and the movie has kind of become claimed by both pro-life and pro-choice advocates and Cody has had some reaction to that. So I encourage you to go read that if you'd like, it's on the Wikipedia page. It's, it's, it's very interesting. Anyway, I'm adding that caveat to be like, I'm not, insinuating that the author or the writers and makers of this film, uh, had this intention. But I think that the message about this film may be, uh, uh, may have some consequences on how the culture views abortion in general. So let's talk about three, uh, kind of points that we're looking at in each movie. So for the first one, are there any barriers depicted to Juno having access to abortion? Uh, the first one, I think, is a more general barrier in that Juno is a teenager, and so there are certain states, well, most states, where Juno would not have access to abortion without parental consent, um, which can be a barrier if the person is not wanting to tell their parents or have their parents involved in this procedure, which there are many reasons why someone wouldn't want that. And so this could become a barrier for Juno having access to this type of health care because she is a minor. Now, in the film, her parents do know that she's pregnant and are helping her through this process, so it isn't necessarily a barrier specific to Juno, but I was looking for something (laughs) to point out in the movie. There are really not any other barriers for Juno. She kind of just walks into a clinic and schedules an abortion. Um, However, the plot point that causes this to be a little bit of a barrier, have a little bit of a wrench thrown in it, is that... As she's walking up to the clinic, she encounters one of her classmates um, who is protesting the clinic. It's just this one classmate who stands outside of the abortion clinic with, like, a candle. And they have a conversation. And the classmate tells Juno, like, you know, you're murdering a baby, blah, blah, blah. And Juno is convinced to keep the baby and decides to give it up for adoption rather than going through the abortion because of this interaction she has with the classmate. Now, I think that this is more an example of how teenagers can make decisions and kind of illustrates how Juno, although going through a pregnancy, is a child and may make decisions in a more simplistic or childlike worldview, whereas an adult may consider other things rather than just, I had this one interaction in. Uh, I'm determined to go through with it, right? They may, an adult might weigh pros and cons a little bit more than a child would make a decision. And not to invalidate the decision that Juno has made, but I do think that, although, again, I gave the caveat about the author's or the writer's intentions, I do think that this being the plot point that convinces Juno to not have an abortion is a little simplistic and does downplay the way that someone may more typically go through just making decisions about health care. I think it also inadvertently shows that people uh, can be swayed by simple religious arguments like the classmate gives. So again, just a caveat. And as I said in the beginning, I don't think this should be a conversation about religious or moral concerns, but it should be a conversation about healthcare. care. So again, it clouds that. But overall, Juno doesn't have any barriers to getting an abortion. So this movie would fall more in that like 60% that didn't portray any barriers. Uh, In the socioeconomic status of the characters, Juno is a middle class teen. Um, Her family, her parents are together. They uh, have like a traditional household. They are very supportive of her and the adoptive parents are... More upper, upper class, they have money, a nicer house, they just don't have any children. And that's part of one of the reasons why Juno is comfortable with giving her baby to them, is that they have money and she knows that they could support the baby and give the baby a better life. So the SES there is, again, doesn't look at working poor people and doesn't necessarily show the stories of everyone. And then for increased medical risk, there is no medical risk depicted because um, Juno doesn't get an abortion, so there's no sort of conversation around what would be the 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 medical risk there, and, and there is no like medical risk depicted in the actual pregnancy. So Juno goes full term with the pregnancy, and we don't see any complications for this teenager. There's no um, essentially outsized medical risks to carrying the. The pregnancy to full term which again not a medical professional but we do know that there are medical complications that come with pregnancy so this could have been an opportunity to rather than focusing on the medical risk of an abortion focus on the medical risk of having a pregnancy full term and how that could actually play out in why someone might choose to have an abortion as a healthcare option because of the medical complications I- involved with pregnancy um In fact, Juno doesn't focus a lot on the actual experience or like physical experience of the pregnancy for Juno, but does focus a lot on kind of the emotional and psychological journey that she takes in the film. And if you've seen it, spoiler alert if you haven't, um, the father from the adoptive couple actually develops like an inappropriate relationship with Juno, who is a 16 year old girl and he is an adult man. Uh, and he kind of has feelings for her and tells her that he's like going to leave his wife for her essentially, or because of her. Uh, and so like that puts undue psychological burden on Juno as she's going through this very difficult time. Uh, and she also had made the decision to not have the child's father involved with her pregnancy as much, which meant she was cut off from some social support. So if you remember from the risk factors for negative consequences of an abortion, lack of social support from the partner was, was one of the risk factors. So Juno, although not a movie about abortion itself, does have some of these issues at play and represents abortion in a way that kind of divorces it from it being just healthcare and focuses on these more moral, ethical, religious conversations, which is part of what convinces Juno to not have the abortion. So, not, you know, if Dirty Dancing was, like, a mid-range, like, pretty good, accurate depiction of abortion, I'm going to say Juno is a not good depiction of abortion. But I also want to be fair in that it's not a movie about abortion, it's a movie about pregnancy. Um, So, like, there, there isn't that much time spent on abortion. But it does... It it does make a, an appearance <laughs> in the film. Um, okay. And 2007 also would be in the time that the Sisson and Kimport article was talking about between that decade. And although they were looking at television shows, not movies, I think Juno kind of falls in line with the phenomenon they were seeing that was presenting abortion as like pretty accessible um, if someone wanted it. And that, but there are also being quite a few plot lines about pregnant people changing their minds and keeping the babies. Okay, so the last movie actually is from 2020. It's called Unpregnant. Uh, It's on HBO Max. I just watched it the other day because I've seen these other movies several times, but I had never seen Unpregnant. I'm going to be pretty honest up up front. I did not like the movie as a movie. (laughs) It was uh, a little boring. It was not the most realistic scenario, and I think it was trying to walk the line too too much between like heartfelt teen film and like buddy cop road trip film and those things don't always mesh and so some of it fell a little flat for me. So I say that in the context of like if you go watch this movie after listening to this episode I'm warning you it wasn't very good <laughs> but I did watch the whole thing because I was interested in the way that it portrayed abortion and I thought that it kind of rounded off this, like, look through time <laughs> uh, that the other movies uh, don't have, right? Because so we have 1987, 2007, and then 2020. Too bad I don't have a 2027. <laughs> that would have been really, really rounded it out. Anyway, so Unpregnant. Uh, I'm assuming most of you haven't seen this movie, so I'm going to give a quick, quick summary. We have a, a our main character, Veronica, finds out that she's pregnant. Uh, her ex-best friend, Bailey... Also knows that she's pregnant because she finds Veronica's pregnancy test. Uh, Veronica is like a classic straight-A student, popular girl at high school. Bailey is kind of like an outsider. She doesn't fit in. She's gay. She's alternative. She's into video games, whereas Veronica is straight, conventionally attractive, into cool things. Although I think video games are cool. But <laughs> all that to say they're they're opposites. They had been best friends for a long time, but no longer are. Bailey is the only person who knows that Veronica is pregnant, and Veronica decides pretty quickly that she wants to have an abortion because she is planning to go to Brown in the fall and she doesn't want to have a baby at this time and she is unsure if she even wants to have a baby with the father who is her boyfriend at the time, Kevin. Uh and so in Kind of uh, a panic. Uh, Veronica realizes the only person she knows who has a car that also knows she's pregnant is Bailey, and so she has to ask Bailey to drive her to Albuquerque, New Mexico. Because Veronica and Bailey live in Missouri, where a minor, so someone under 18, cannot have an abortion without parental consent, and Veronica does not want her parents to know because they are pretty religious and anti abortion. And her older sister had a baby at about the same age. And so she knows how her family feels about pregnancy in teens and knows that they wouldn't approve of her getting an abortion. So Albuquerque is the nearest place that she can go to get an abortion without parental consent. So that sets up the kind of road trip aspect as Bailey and Veronica have to drive to New Mexico. A bunch of hijinks and sure, but eventually they get to Albuquerque and Veronica is able to have an abortion. And so I think that makes this movie very unique from the other two we've talked about in that the character actually gets to have the abortion and the abortion process is described um, in the movie. Like, the movie goes through what the process is going to be like for her and actually provides, like, the medical uh, steps of, like, how she'll recover and, uh, like, what is happening as she kind of goes up to the abortion. So we, we not only know that a character is having an abortion, but as an audience, we get to know kind of all of the steps of the procedure, which is very different from Dirty Dancing, where we knew the character was having an abortion, but it is like a secret, mysterious process. We don't really know what's happening, and it is illegal, so it's supposed to be kind of hush-hush. Okay, so barriers that were depicted in the film Unpregnant. First of all, Veronica lives in a state that does not allow teens to get abortion without parental consent, so that's a barrier in and of itself that she would have to talk to her parents to even get this procedure done where she currently lives. Uh, She also doesn't have any way to get to Albuquerque. She doesn't have a car and uh, she doesn't have enough money on her own to get like a a plane ticket or um, even like take the train. And she also, I guess has set up this barrier for herself, but she's trying to get, she finds out like Friday morning, she's trying to go Friday night drive all the way to Albuquerque, get the procedure done, and drive back uh, so that Sunday night she's back and able to go to school and nobody knows that this happened. Another barrier is that her mom is really religious and has these beliefs that are against abortion. So, that's kind of one of Veronica's personal barriers. And she also, uh, before she goes to New Mexico, she tells her boyfriend that she's pregnant and he does not want her to get an abortion. Now, this also was an interesting plot line that they added in, is that the boyfriend... So, uh, okay, back it up. <laughs> Veronica tells Bailey that she doesn't know how she got pregnant because they always use condoms and have safe sex when they have sex. And so she's confused about how, how this could have happened because she was under the impression that uh, there there were prevention measures to make sure she didn't get pregnant. When she tells her boyfriend that she's pregnant, he tells her that a month ago they were having sex and he realized the condom had broke while they were having sex, but he didn't tell her that. And so that was probably when she got pregnant was when the condom broke. And if he had told her at the time, she could have taken a morning after pill, which she could have gotten without parental consent and could have gotten more uh, easily and not had to go through this process. And I think that it was interesting that they added that in because it on one hand, I think it makes her more justified in having an abortion at this time of like, this is not a person she wants to raise a child with. And he's very toxic and a very bad partner. And in fact, one of the roles that Bailey plays in the film, the the ex best friend, is that she really highlights how toxic Kevin's behavior is. And he actually ends up following them all the way to New Mexico and tries to stop her at the clinic and tries to like propose to Veronica and essentially say that he knew she could have been pregnant because the condom broke and he was okay with it because he wanted her to stay in Missouri with him and not go to Brown and that he was um, essentially trying to trap her with a baby that she did not want and that she didn't consent to having unprotected sex with him, which is Talk about red flags. This is, like, the biggest red flag. It's more than a red flag. It's just a fire. Like, we're just on fire. This man is... That's very toxic. And it's uh, a form of sexual assault to have unprotected sex with someone when they don't know. They are under the assumption that you are having protected sex with them. So... And I think the film could have gone a little harder on that. Of, like, what Kevin did was very, very wrong. They really just kind of frame him as like a bad boyfriend and veronica does break up with him um even though he he tries to threaten her by taking a picture of her at the clinic and saying he'll send it to everyone at school and her parents so that everyone knows she got an abortion and unless she stays with him otherwise he won't send the picture so to the end kevin is is messing up and doing really nasty things but in i think kevin also represents a type of barrier to abortion access in that Like we talked about with the first article, if the partner doesn't support your decision, it can have some negative consequences. Now, luckily, Veronica has support from Bailey and some other people in the film. Like People are supportive of her decision, which I think can balance out the unsupportive partner in that she does have other social support and she doesn't have the indecisiveness. She knows that this is what she wants to do. And that is one thing that I really did like about the movie was that from the beginning, Veronica was very assured that this was the decision she wanted to make and that this was what she was going to do and nothing could change her mind. And she had a lot of reasons laid out for why it was a very like rational decision making, which I think was very different from Juno, where the decision was made kind of like uh, at the flip of a coin, whereas Veronica has... In uh, unpregnant has very very clear reasons why she wants to get the abortion. Now, one thing that is interesting throughout the movie is uh, uh, Veronica has a hard time saying abortion to other people. She uses a lot of euphemisms and she'll say things like "I'm going to have a procedure," "I'm taking care of it," um, and it's understandable why she kind of has trouble saying it because the consequences from her family and the negative reactions that people have about someone saying they want to have an abortion uh, kind of backfire or can have like stick a stigma associated with it. So she does kind of dance around the phrase, which may seem like she's not as confident about her decision. Uh, but I think that it does show less about the decision to have an abortion, but more of the stigma that comes with it and how p- even if someone is very ready to go through with a medical procedure if there's stigma associated with it which is intense social pressure to not do the thing that is stigmatized uh then that can cause some distress or some psychological consequences and also lines up with the Adler article about how the distress is more often before the abortion and not after uh okay so that's Kind of her so so in summary her barriers are she doesn't live in a state where she can get an abortion without parental consent she doesn't have access to transportation to get to a place where she can have an abortion without parental consent her family is very religious and doesn't believe in abortion Uh, her boyfriend is toxic and trying to prevent her from having an abortion and Veronica's like main reason why she wants the abortion is that she has plans to go to this Ivy League school she has a career planned out for her. And having a baby is not part of her plan at this time. So socioeconomic status of the characters. So Veronica is more like middle class. She definitely has the nicer house. She has some more access to some more resources. She just doesn't have enough money to get there on her own. She would have had to get money from her parents, which is not an option because she can't tell them what's going on. Uh, And Bailey is presented as lower middle class or lower class. Uh, Her mom is a single mom. They live in a not-so-nice house. And Bailey just doesn't have the same resources that Veronica has at home. But Bailey does have access to a car. And we do learn later on in the film that uh, the car Bailey has is actually her mom's boyfriend's car. And she stole it from him because she wanted to help Veronica out to get to New Mexico. Uh, So, again, I think shows that Bailey is from a less resourced household, a lower economic status when compared to Veronica. But Veronica is reliant upon someone who is has less resources than her because she is in such a desperate place. So they have this like the socioeconomic status thing set up. But essentially Veronica is functioning as someone with no money because she has very limited resources to get this abortion and one of the things that she ends up having to do is selling the engagement ring that her boyfriend gave her when he proposed uh so that she can afford the gas and trip out there um and again a spoiler alert they end up in new mexico she does get the procedure uh but they've run out of money so she does have to let her family know so that they can send her money to fly home and uh she isn't able to hide it from her family because she ends up being desperate Okay, so that's Yes, The third one is increased medical risk. So this, I think this was like one of the best things that the show or the movie did is that there was no medical risk indicated with the abortion. Um, in fact, they even explain the difference between a pill abortion or a surgical abortion and sort of the requirements for, for Veronica and she gets to choose. She chooses the surgical option. Uh, it's explained really thoroughly. We get to kind of... We see her going through the steps. We don't see, like, an abortion happen. But you see her, like, changing into her gown, getting anesthesia, and then, like, waking up in the recovery room. And Veronica walks out of the clinic with absolutely no complications. She's happy with her decision. She feels relief that she was able to get it done. And she's on her way. And the movie is, like, starting to wrap up. So I would rate this probably more similarly... Uh, with Dirty Dancing in terms of its like appropriate abortion portrayal in that there are more barriers than just ele- illegality and that these barriers are pretty difficult to overcome. In fact, the entire movie is about Veronica overcoming the barriers to her abortion. The socioeconomic status of the characters are, although more higher SES than maybe the general public or the uh, population that may have... Sh- difficulty getting abortions uh it is simulated quite well because she can't have access to her parents resources so she is kind of on her own so there is like an economic component to her barriers to get an abortion and it doesn't focus on the medical risk of the procedure but focuses more on the um barriers leading up to getting the abortion and that the the medical part of it is actually quite quick simple and effective so I, I think, especially given that this film came out in 2020, it's a pretty accurate representation of what abortion access is like in the U.S. And I I don't mean that it's accurate in that, like, it's quite a hijinks movie. There's, like, a point where they get kidnapped by a religious couple that is pro-life and wants to take her baby. They end up, like, running from the police at one point because Bailey stole the car. Like that stuff is not re- realistic. But the idea that a teenager in a state where abortion is not accessible to them without parental consent would have all of these barriers to accessing medical care for themselves, I think that's pretty accurate. And the uh, ability in which Veronica is able to make this decision to be very confident, I think is uh, a better contribution to abortion portrayal than Uh, sort of being wishy-washy, or even like Juno, where the decision is made for not necessarily a well-thought-out reason, (laughs) uh, but is more of like a a flip of the coin, um, emotionally driven reason. So I would say that like how Dirty Dancing was appropriate for the time in which it portrayed abortion, unpregnant, is pretty appropriate for like 2020, the 2020s. And there is room for improvement because it's not a entertaining movie uh but it is i think uh, a good template for moving in the right direction about how to portray abortion in a more realistic way and focusing on these like barriers to to care um so yeah i would say i kind of would rank *Dirty dancing and unpregnant at as like better representations of abortion and juno as a not so great representation of abortion i know there are a lot more movies and obviously tv shows that deal with this topic but these are just movies that uh, I was familiar with, and that I thought the, the kind of looking throughout the timelines was interesting through from the 80s up to more present day, and has shown that it's always been difficult to portray abortion in, a, in an appropriate way in movies. And obviously, as we move forward with the new reality in the US, that movies that take place in this country and television shows that take place in this country are going to have to wrestle with this new way to portray abortion where it has become severely limited in its accessibility for a large portion of the geographical outline of America. That There are a lot of people who now, because of the function of the place that they live in, do no longer have access to healthcare, to a form of healthcare for themselves because of trigger laws and... The ability for states to now make the determination about abortions, rather than than there being a federal stipulation that abortion access has to be open in every place in America. Um, So yeah, I I'm trying to not be too political or too uh, outraged because of my personal feelings and beliefs about abortion, but I do want to just reiterate what I said at the beginning: is that abortion is a medical procedure; it is a type of healthcare. And if we're going to continue to fight for the rights for people to have access to healthcare, I think that is the way in which the abortion quote unquote debate needs to be framed. It's healthcare. You can have your own personal moral or ethical standards for why you wouldn't engage in a medical procedure. There are lots of people who don't engage in cosmetic surgery because they have moral or ethical standards that they don't want to alter their face or put certain substances into their body. That's a medical procedure that they are deciding to not participate in because of their own personal beliefs. But we don't have to have bans on nose jobs in states because some people are morally opposed to it. That would be ridiculous. Some people don't put the uh, o- organ donor thing on their license plate because they don't believe that their organs should be taken from them e- or if, even if they're dead. That's bodily autonomy, right? People get to make those decisions, but we don't outlaw those decisions across the whole country or in a certain state because some people are morally opposed to it. And so that is what I really want you to take away from this episode, if anything, is that abortion is health care. Health care should be accessible to everyone in a way where it's not forced upon anyone to make a decision to do it. And that the person has the bodily autonomy to decide to partake in a healthcare decision or not. And that the psychological consequences of abortion are minimal uh, for most people. And that the reality is, is that being forced to carry a pregnancy to full term that is either unwanted, unplanned, or dangerous to the life of the pregnant person is more psychologically damaging than engaging in a routine medical procedure like an abortion. Those are my takeaways for you. I think that that's pretty rational, (laughs) pretty, pretty acceptable. And, uh, yeah, I really, I don't have much more else to say. I mean, I do have a lot more to say, but I don't want to just start yelling. Um, and I hope too that doing this and kind of breaking down these, um, different aspects of how abortion is depicted in things will make you more aware next time you watch a show or movie that has an abortion plot line will make you more aware of how is it being portrayed, which stories are being left out, and how does this change the cultural understanding of abortion? Is it making it more realistic? Is it making it more idealistic? How is this changing the way that uh, my culture or our culture responds to this medical procedure? So with that, I just want to say thank you for listening through the whole episode. My DMs are open, email is open. If you have any questions or comments about this episode, I would love to hear from you. Um, But with that, I just want to say I'll see you in the next one. Bye-bye. To see the sources and resources mentioned in the episode, visit psychologicallymindedpod.com or click the link in the show notes. To contact me with any questions or comments about this topic or upcoming episodes, email me at psychmindedpod at gmail.com. Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you, and see you in the next episode.